Hello, I'm Stephanie Milliner, and welcome to COVID Conversations, an introspective of the impact on nonprofits. In today's episode, we'll learn more about YMCA of Metropolitan Washington, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to foster the spiritual, mental, and physical development of families, individuals, and the community, creating equality and mutual respect for all. This organization serves the Washington DC area as well as Virginia. Let's learn more about how COVID-19 has impacted this organization. All right, here we go. So I am speaking with Angie Reese Hawkins. She is the president and CEO of the YMCA of Metropolitan Washington. So my first question for you is, how long have you been with the organization and what motivated you to join the YMCA? I was an adult when I first walked in the door, and I was fascinated by the mission of the organization. And I must say that what's great about the YMCA is that it has a national reach, a local reach, a national reach, and a global reach. And the mission is very profound when you think about what we do in terms of youth development, healthy living, and social responsibility. That's a wide swath of programs, initiatives, opportunities to make our communities better. And so what's great about it is when you walk through that door, there isn't any fixed objective. It pretty much will go where your passion leads you. Mm-hmm. And you have an opportunity to develop, grow, implement something that you think will make your community better in that particular incubation environment that it is. And if you've seen one why, you've seen one why. We're all customized based on what our community needs are, what the community objectives are, you know, what we think we need to do best to close gaps, Rich divides, and so um, when you see one why, you've seen one why. Okay, that's that's awesome. Uh, could you provide a quick overview of your day to day operations and its mission? Sure. Um, so the bottom line for the why is that we serve everybody, regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of religion, regardless of age. So we serve everyone. Um, and we provide programs that serves everyone through youth development, healthy living, and social responsibility. Those are our three touch points. Okay. Um, my operation serves the what we call the DMV, which is the District of Columbia, Virginia, Northern Virginia, and Maryland. So I have an unusual footprint because most wives are just in one state, and they pretty much serve one state. Mm-hmm. I serve two cities, mm-hmm. I mean, a central city and two states. Mm-hmm. So it's a little complex because yeah. I'm dealing with a lot of different government entities. Um, I have a a strong membership base. Uh, We started out pre-COVID with 19,000 members. Now we probably have 40% of those members uh, that we've been able to retain. We are premier first in youth development. So we have camp, we have childcare, we have after school. Um, We also have academic achievement programs. We have mentoring programs. We have civic leadership programs. And then we have a variety of volunteer opportunities for corporations, for individuals, as well as teaching people how to give back in ways in which they can give back. And that's just a snapshot. There's mm-hmm. so much, so much more. Absolutely. So now that we are a year in in the pandemic, pandemic to yeah. what extent has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted your organization's services? For example, um, maybe you can respond upon some of the following areas. Services provide, more services provided than usual, same as, usual operations, service slightly inhibited. What can you share in regards to how the pandemic has affected the organization? 
service is different. I think that's the best way to describe it because okay. we're nimble and we're very flexible. So we were able to pivot. That's a, that's a common word you hear now in COVID that everybody's pivoting. But, you know, we were able to pivot. So we do a lot of, uh, we address a lot of food insecurities in our community. Okay. So we uh, were able to deliver thousands and thousands of pounds of food. We were able to do uh, child care for first responders. We were able to do child care for parents who had to go in. They were frontline staff. We were able to do some learning labs where there were small bubbles where children could learn and not necessarily be home and secluded at environments or quarantine environments, which isn't always the best way to grow right. when you're trying to uh, learn what you need to learn in an academic setting. It's a lot more supportive, a lot more um, guidance. You get better guidance. So we were able to pivot. Before that, we were a strong membership organization. Mm -hmm. We were strong in camp. We were strong in child care. We were strong in after school. Um, we were serving thousands, 20,000 children. We were serving 19,000 members. We're probably serving half of that now, oh, if, wow. not, if not a quarter of that now. Mm -hmm. But we were able to pivot and just do some great things in the community. And I was so happy about that because that's the nimble flexibility yeah. of the white. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm glad you touched on the education part and with the kids and, and things that, that they were able to come in and have some of those services available to them. Because I do know that talking to some of my colleagues, some of my friends, um, some kids are struggling with the online learning. Um, they are. And if you were already behind, let's say, three months to six months, you're probably behind a year now. Yeah, right. And in this world where we have such incredible racial inequities mm -hmm. you're in an environment that's more quarantined so you're not doing conflict resolution with people that are different than you mm -hmm. look different than you act different than you come from different backgrounds you're just home with mommy and daddy all day exactly so mm -hmm. you have to wonder where that skill set and not only know? that some of the kids are home alone exactly and so exactly. that brings another um set of charted issues into their it's development and who they are very complicated and yeah. I'm, I'm very concerned and worried on the other side of this, what the true long-term effect is going to be for our kids. Yeah. Because I believe we're just touching the surface. And I think there's a lot of mental challenges that are going to come up that we find ourselves coping with in some way or another. Um, but I think we're just scratching the surface. We just really don't know what the impact of all this quarantine, isolation um, is going to... And, and look at seniors who are in isolation. Mm -hmm. I, I just wonder and I worry about the social, emotional... Um, aspects of everybody's life when we come out of this. Yeah. I mean, it's it's effective us all in one way or another. So, yeah. and, and continues to do, do so. so. Yeah. Okay. Um so during this particular time in our lives, has your organization experienced any of the following during the pandemic? Any budget cuts, permanent layoffs, furloughs? I mean, the list goes on and on and on, but that impact impacts the community as well, I'm pretty sure. Could you elaborate? Sure. We we checked the box for all of those. Okay. Because you don't have to survive a mode. Mm -hmm. And you really want to hold on for as long as you can and do the best you can and to survive and have some sustainability. So you have to do all of those and more. You know, you have to figure out how to work things out with your vendors. You have to worry about uh, paying your vendors. You have the people who provide services. There are small businesses. So you really wanted to yeah. figure out how to take care of them. So there's an ancillary effect that just cascades throughout the whole process. 
you have staff that you can't bring back because you can't open your operations. And when you do open your operations, it's restrictive because you have to um, you have to um, um, adjust to the CDC guidelines in terms of distancing, you know, and so many other things. So, um, so we felt we're, we're probably the best thing to tell you is we're half the size of the organization we were before COVID. Okay. So that is substantial for us. Yeah. And and it does impact the number of people we serve. What it doesn't impact is the fact that we're still providing services. Providing services. But just the number of people we serve, it, it it's been devastating. Mm-hmm. It's just been devastating. Um, the Y has a strong brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of people waiting for us to open fully yeah. so they can come back and enjoy everything that they've enjoyed before in terms of advancing their health and having healthy outcomes. But even with all of the youth development programs, we only operated at a third of capacity. Oh, wow. And then you have this restricted environment that they're in where you have to keep them together in certain little bubbles. Mm-hmm. Because if, any, if you have an outbreak and you need to do contact tracing... Tracing, you have to go, you know where you to go. To go. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So um, it cost us half a million dollars to make sure all of our facilities were safe. Mm. And that's everything from sanitizer to PPE to... Um, UV lighting, mm-hmm. to cleaning our facilities at night, to having staff, extra staff to clean, 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 because contact surface, uh, contact, uh, surface contact was a huge issue in the beginning uh, in terms of transferring the virus. It's not so much now because they've got a lot of proof to show that that's not the case. But right. in the beginning, you were cleaning constantly, constantly cleaning. Yeah, right. And then face masks, you know, all those things add up to a significant amount of money. And for that, just to open was half a million dollars. Wow. That's yeah. a, that's a lot. Wow. I you know, I just never realized the impact um just not with your organization but other organizations too, just the impact of opening up a building to make everyone safe. I mean, you just never including realized. Your staff. Yeah, including your staff. And your right? staff, right. So, fundraising. Fundraising yeah. is kind of critical and important to nonprofits. What will be the impact of your organization in regards to this during COVID-19 this year? It was phenomenal. People gave, and they gave significantly, and they gave with passion, and they gave with heart. Some people gave money just to keep people on the payroll. Some people gave money to support the children in the program whose parents couldn't afford it because maybe one parent wasn't working and the other parent was working and it was just one salary. Um, People gave us uh, money to do PP&E. Uh, it was phenomenal. I mean, my heart is just warmed by how many people said, okay, I'll give. And, you know, listen, it wasn't easy for a lot of those people to give because they weren't working. They weren't working, right, right. Yeah, but the generosity of Americans mm-hmm. when, there's a, when, there's a, when there's a tough story mm-hmm. about what's happening and how it complex, complicates people's lives or impacts people's lives, I mean, we really do rally. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, that gets lifted up enough. Exactly. And that's, that, to me, that speaks for the community because it's the community that's giving. The community sees the effort, the work, because you're giving to them. And, you know, for them to come back and pay back and give forward, 
That's the community. That says a lot about our community in the DMV area. Yes, I'm going to shout out the DMV because that's where we are, and this is where it's happening. <laughs> well, the DMV was very, very generous, and there were a lot of government grant opportunities too. Right. And they pivoted where mm -hmm. they might have we might have written the the scenario for the grant for one program or another, and that program didn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. They said keep it and use it for administrative overhead, use it for PP&E, use it for whatever you need it for. So a lot of the grant makers pivoted as well right. and that was very very helpful so we tripled our fundraising it was it was phenomenal that's and awesome then, then people started wanting to volunteer if they could do it virtually so we created a virtual volunteer program and that was very very helpful so trust me that's one of the highlights of all of this if you could find a highlight mm -hmm. in this dismal process <laughs> right actually you know what you came to my 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 second to last question and it says we uh, we all have our favorites. Any passion projects in particular program that you want to highlight? Oh, uh, definitely the feeding program. The feeding I mean, program. I mean, I love the opportunities I had to take food and put it in the trunk of the car and wave to the kids and the families. And by the way, some of these cars, you, you know, people were living from paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so let me just say, some of these cars were pretty expensive for people who didn't have food to put on the table. So it was affecting everyone. Yes. I mean, yeah. You know, we usually look at vulnerable zip codes and mm -hmm. determine what kind of gas services we need to provide. This was affecting everyone. The lines would be miles and miles and miles long. Can you imagine not knowing if you could put food on the table the next day? Mm -hmm. Having to, to figure that out? Mm -hmm. So... Um, just having them wave and be grateful and thankful that we were putting food in the car and we knew we were putting enough food for a week in some cases, three days in some cases. Um, That's a heavy burden. That's a heavy burden lifted. Yeah, yes. yeah. And it was, um, it, it was with mixed feelings, you know, mm -hmm. happy to help, wish it didn't have to be this way. Okay, right. And so I have another question for you, um, and it's it's more about the financial budgets. As you prepare for your next year's budget. What major operational changes are expected now that we've entered into the second year of the pandemic? Well, we have to change our mindset. We're operating with half the resources, and that's significant. You know, that's millions. So yeah. we're operating with half the resources, and everybody thinks there's like some button that we're just going to switch, and we're going to go back to normal. Right. So we have to look at what are we doing going forward that makes a difference, that has an impact? You know, we can't look at the past anymore. Yeah. So what might have worked before it's may not, not work now. And it's very hard because the sense of normalcy for most people is to go back to the way we right, were. Right, right. The familiar. say, no, it's about where we're going, going. not where we've been. Right. So um, we've been having these sort of think tank discussions with all of our staff around where, who, who do we want to be when we grow up next? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And what is the environment going to, uh, what is it going to look like at, at this point? And so um, it, it has um, it has resulted in us reallocating funds to different uh, sources of programs and services. But fundamentally, mm -hmm. ROI is about serving the family. Families. So it's still going to be child care. Mm -hmm. It's still going to be after school care. It's still going to be camp so kids can have fun and learn about the environment. It's still going to be about family health. Mm -hmm. All of those things and what we can do with, you know, how we can help families do things together. So the good thing is we have that core mission in terms mm -hmm. of programmatic thrust. And the good thing is I think that after being in quarantine, 
family matters more than ever. Even exactly. though family, it's not traditional right. per se. It doesn't right. have to be traditional. Right. It could be everybody, extended family, mm -hmm. grandma, whoever. Yep. But is family. And to your point, what you said earlier, it's the sense of community. Right. So I think that programmatically, and in terms of initiatives, that's what we're looking at. What's the wraparound we can do for that? And, and, and in doing that, what can we do to help the social, emotional well-being of people who've been in lockdown for a long time? What, what can we do to continue to advance their health? Because we do know that there are people with underlying conditions who are most vulnerable when COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah, and what can we do to bridge this achievement gap yeah. now that we that we see coming up on the horizon. So we're looking at those three things mm -hmm. as being very, very important to whatever we do and being the three pillars of everything of that everything. we do. So, oh, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, that that's phenomenal, actually. So I have my last question that um, I have for the recording. And your organization, I mean, is doing incredible work. Would you like to share with our audience how and where they can learn more and support your efforts? Yes, www.ymcadc.org. Okay. Everything's there. That's the repository for everything that we do. <laughs> yes. And I, I also want to share this one last thing with everyone. Um, the first African-American YMCA in the United States of America is in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And I rebuilt that Y seven years ago. And that Y tells a story. It's not just fitness. It's not just child care. It tells a story about this incredible man's life and his commitment to, to developing the first YMCA. So if you get a chance, you might want to go online and look up Anthony Bowen and look up the Anthony Bowen YMCA. If you get a chance to come to D.C., you must come and visit. It's an experience. Well, I'm in D.C., and I'm going to go visit. 1325 W Street. W Street. I, I, just, I was going to ask you, was it on W Street? <laughs> We appreciate Angie Reese Hawkins with YMCA of Metropolitan Washington for joining us today. You've reached the end of our series, COVID Conversations, an introspective of the impacts on nonprofits. We hope you've enjoyed it. And as we've seen and heard, the pandemic truly forced organizations to think creatively about new ways to operate and offer services. Yet, as creative and innovative as nonprofit leaders might be, adapting to these new realities means they will need help for months and even years ahead. While we only were able to initially spotlight eight organizations, there are many local national nonprofits worthy of your support. Again, thank you for listening to this series. And to learn more about any of these organizations, please visit unlv.edu, Public Policy, Urban Leadership. Thank you.